I might not ask a question at all. I might just raise my eyebrows. I might tilt my head. I might sit there silently. I might say something like, tell me more. Keep talking. If there's any number of ways to keep the conversation going. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, J.R. Flatter here with my co-host, Lucas. Hello. And we're still working our way through the fundamentals of coaching. It's early in the new year. thought it was time to revisit some of these fundamentals. The final session is powerful questioning. We found over time combining these two, what used to be two sessions into a single session, it's a little bit more comfortable and less artificially separated. So that's why you see powerful questioning one and two. As always, in, in this final session, we're going to take some time, get ready to learn, get ready to coach, take our mind off of what we were doing and what we're going to be doing in a few minutes after the session's over and focus 100% of our energy together here in this session. So we'll take a couple minutes. I always just like to close my eyes, take a couple deep breaths. It's amazing how powerful that is. All right. I'm having a great day. Uh, part of what we talk about in mindfulness is having a growth mindset. For any of our listeners or viewers that have a general practitioner, doctor, ours retired, and how hard it is to find a new one. And so I finally found a new one for Alicia and myself. And we just had our uh, follow-up appointments this morning. And they do all, a whole slew of blood tests, which despite the internet and the best, my best efforts, I learned very little about the results. All I knew is that a couple of them were off the charts high. And, you know, I pride myself in being a healthy person. And it was a little bit alarming. The doctor didn't say anything between visits. It was six weeks between visits. So I didn't worry about it too much. But I came into my appointment this morning and she's like, yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> so I'm kind of celebrating that small victory. So that's my uh, success story of the day. How about you? It's going well or not in your world? Well, you just, had a good friend that just yeah, left. Yeah, I just had a good visit and we took a couple of days off, which I came back to work like, all right, <laughs> what, do, what do I get to work on? I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm sick of just hanging out. <laughs> so that was fun to come back today. Yeah. So powerful questions. How does one ask a powerful question? And I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because I'd rather show you in the arc of a session in the relationship of the arc of a session and how one asks a powerful question. And I want to purposely pause here and let you jump in, Lucas, because you have your own style. This all comes from lessons learned. So competency two asks us to have a reflective practice. And what that means to me is 
observe your own coaching and go back and ask yourself, how could I have done that better? And so you and I are coaches and educators. And so we're constantly improving our education programs. I almost said training. I hate using the word training when I talk about coaches because training is something that you learn rote from memorization. And that's not what we're doing here. We're educating. So we have education programs. But almost all of this comes from reflecting on what did we learn? How might we have done it better? So that's where these bullet points come from. And I'm sure you have observations or even additions. Always start with a blank chalkboard and an empty table. You've heard me say once, I'll say it again. I rarely speak in absolutes. This is one of the absolutes of coaching and a coaching mindset. Even if it was an hour ago that you were talking to this person and they said, I'm going to do this action. Let's get together in an hour. I would still walk into that coaching room with an empty chalkboard and an empty table because I don't, A, know if they did it, and I don't want to constrain the conversation we have with them, me expressing the least bit of disappointment. You said you were going to do this and you didn't do it. And so we always try to ask unbounded questions, which we'll jump into a little bit. But if I bind that question in any way, the only binding bounding I will put on my introductory statement is, hey, I've got a hard stop at zero, zero, or I have a soft stop. If we need to go long today, that's the only bounding I'll put on a session. I'll try really hard not to ask what's the top of your mind because that prioritizes what are you thinking about today because that bounds their answer. Certainly, you don't want to ask, last time we met, you said you were going to do these three things, and, and how'd that go? You just failed the session right there because you've only given them three options to talk about. And if they didn't do any three of them, then they know you're going to be disappointed. So don't do that. Yeah, jump in here on the blank chalkboard and empty table because you've heard me say it a thousand times. Yeah, I mean... The way I like to think about it, and we talk about it with like people that you bring into the room, but you know, you're doing this mental modeling with each other. And if you kind of have preconceived notions and bring different things and bring concepts, you're not allowing them the chance to, you know, starting with the empty chalkboard is something that they should get the chance to do. So you're kind of robbing them of that. No, that's that's very uh, wisely worded. I love that word, robbing. You're stealing the opportunity for them to own the session at the very beginning of the session. And although we're talking about asking powerful questions, one of the last things you should do is go out and preconceive a list of potential questions. You can go out and ask the internet right now, give me a list of 50 powerful coaching questions, and it will. Give me a list of 100 powerful coaching questions, and it will. But that is constraining yourself unnecessarily. And it's like an open book test. If you haven't studied the material, having the textbook in front of you is not going to help you in the session. The most that I do is I keep the PCC markers in front of me, and I keep the arc of a session in front of me. And I'll look at those from time to time to remind myself where we're at in the session to remind myself where we're at in the relationship and to remind myself it's my obligation to demonstrate all 
of the of the competencies and the markers within the competencies. But other than that, in the silence of my own coaching, so when I'm silent, I'm giving you an opportunity to discover and to continue talking. But I'm also giving myself the opportunity to ask, what's the next best powerful thing I could do or say? And so I go through a series of questions with myself, literally and figuratively. Is this a powerful coaching question as I've been taught? Does it conform to the ethics and core competencies and core values of coaching? Is it curiosity on behalf of the leader and not me? So I'm going through this litany of questions and I'm silent a little longer than I'm comfortable being silent. And I always ask or try to ask an open-ended question, which is what the second bullet point is. The who, what, or how. If your question starts with a who, what, or how, it's probably a powerful coaching question. You've left the blank, the chalkboard blank. They've told you what they think the best use of your time is. You've explored competency three. What's the best use of our time? What about this is relevant to you as a human being? What are some measures of success? And what are some obstacles? And so now you're asking yourself who, what, or how for the heart of the session, four, five, six, and seven. You probably can't go wrong what, who, or how. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to pull in these things in a non-manipulative way, like, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> so just like at the bare minimum that you can say, like, I I saw this bullet for um, don't ask a question, ask something unknown. And it's like, if I've asked it and I already know it, it seems manipulative if I ask it yeah, again. Yeah. You know, it's like, why would, why would he ask again? <laughs> yeah, I have a multitude of examples of, my mind is curious about something, but I know they know the answer to it. So I'm not going to ask them because it's curiosity for my sake, not for their growth. You've jumped a, a bullet point ahead. And this seems like an ideal that's a bridge too far, but I really love challenging myself to this ideal. The reason I've never asked that person, why is it that you live in separate houses in separate states? Because I know they know the answer. And I know it's my curiosity for my own sake. Could I have manipulated the conversation into that direction? Of course I could have. One of the things I least enjoy hearing from a leader is, I could see where you're going with that question. Because <laughs> if they could see that I'm leading them to the river, because I think they're thirsty, I'm not coaching. Avoid why. I think it's really hard to ask a why question that's not judgmental. We could practice and try, but why is almost always judgmental. Why did you do that? Instead, turn it into a what, who, or a how. What was the criteria? How did you come to that conclusion? And the obvious, you know, don't ask yes or no. If you're in a powerful relationship and there's a lot of trust and safety in the room, you can get away with yes or no questions. But in the silence of your moments, ask yourself, is there a way to ask this as a who, what, or how? And oftentimes there is. Stay in the passenger seat, pivot with the leader, bask in silence. I tell you, when, it's, when you're in your first few coaching sessions, it is so hard to be quiet. Because A, you've been taught to be the answer person, 
And B, it's just terribly uncomfortable to stare at another human being. There's a couple of things going on there. And one of them is very practical. They're thinking and you're thinking, but you're also educating them. And I'm very explicit about this. I'm going to be quiet a lot in my coaching sessions. And when I'm quiet, I'm thinking, I expect either you're thinking or you're going to continue talking and exploring. We're not comfortable being silent. We're taught to be the answer people and give answers. And people that come to us, if they know us as a mentor or they know us as, you know, go to JR if you need an answer, they're going to be confused the first few times you say, I'm not quite sure. What do you think? Or, you know, do you mind if I take this opportunity to coach you and help you grow your own leadership? I mean, no person is going to say no to that that wants to be a leader. Stay silent a little longer than you're comfortable. Again, to badly paraphrase Michael Bugain-Stainier. What are your thoughts on silence? I know we talk about this so much in our education programs. Like you said, it's not natural. It makes you feel like you're not doing enough if you you know you're <laughs> yeah. pausing and and letting letting yourself think and letting the other person think but it's really essential if you're you know trying to react to what they're saying what what your leader is saying without having those preloaded questions yeah you just reminded me of i always learn every time i hear i listen to you so i should listen to you more often if you're doing the majority of the work you're not coaching And so certainly if you're talking the most, you're not coaching. If you're doing most of the heavy lifting, you're not coaching. And it is a natural. Uh, It's like learning to delegate. If you've ever been a leader and you've delegated to someone, it feels like you're giving somebody else your job and you should be doing it. But when you think about the scope of your responsibilities and opportunity cost discussions, you know, is it really the best use of my time across the enterprise? And so there's a lot of uh, relevance between delegating and coaching because you're going to ask questions that you've experienced the outcome a hundred times before. But as a coach, you're giving them that opportunity to discover and then therefore they'll own it. If you tell them or if I tell them, I've done this a hundred times before and this never worked, this is what worked. A, they're saying, yeah, boomer. And B, they're not, they're not going to own it. And so one of the things we want to do from our powerful relationships and our powerful sessions is create ownership, that they own the outcome. A couple of the competencies talk about no attachment. I find, I think, what's seven dot something. I forget the exact competency, but it speaks to us coaching to their house of leadership. If you find yourself nudging them in the direction of your morality or nudging them in the direction of your principles, hey, wow, I, I can see where you're going with that. Thanks for bringing me down that trail. If I see you ask rapid fire questions, like as soon as I stop talking, you ask me a question, I know you're not listening to me for one thing. And I know that you're leading me somewhere in one practice performance evaluation, I actually had a coach say, and that is the perfect response that leads me to my next question. Boom. (laughs) He just told me that you're not listening and you had your questions preconceived. Coaches don't do that. 
just like we don't hide advice within our questions. A lot of new coaches, you'll hear them nudging someone in a particular direction. Have you thought about it from this angle? When all they're really saying is you really need to look at it from another angle. There are ways to ask that powerful question. One of the ways in just in the silence of your thoughts to ask yourself, is it a powerful coaching question is, am I preconceiving the outcome? Alicia, your mother, her office is 10 feet away and she hears me say the word hypothesis a hundred times a week. So it's our new joke between each other. What's your hypothesis on that? But it's okay to have a hypothesis and test that hypothesis. And a hypothesis is nothing more than an educated guess. And so if I were coaching you and you said across three sessions, you mentioned your son. You mentioned your son's having trouble learning to play the ukulele. And you mentioned your son loves being with his cousins. I now have information on your son that you've brought into the coaching room that I have a hypothesis that your son's very important to you. And I might bring that in the coaching room. You've mentioned your son on multiple occasions. And it sounds like there's some relevancy between work, family, and self going on here. What does it feel like to you when I say that out loud? For me, that's a very powerful coaching question. If I were to say, don't you think the fact that you have a four-year-old is influencing this decision? That's a little too close to nudging you in a particular direction. What I might ask is, what is it about the age of your son that might be influencing this decision? Two very different things. So don't hide advice. New coaches stack their questions out of the newness and the thinking that they have to fill out, that's the quietness and make sure their question's absolutely clear. Ask one question and three to five words. That's it. Don't ask the same question three times in three different ways. And don't ask three questions in a row. I hear new coaches do this all the time. And if you were to sit in on our education class, you heard me say, stop stacking, stop stacking. We do something we call one-in-one -one feedback. One thing I loved, one thing you could have done better. That's probably early on in a cohort, one of the more prevalent and other. You stacked. You asked the same question three different ways, or you asked the same question three times, or you asked three questions in a row. And then the last one, I might not ask a question at all. I might just raise my eyebrows. I might tilt my head. I might sit there silently. I might say something like, tell me more. Keep talking. If there's any number of ways to keep the conversation going. One problem um, that I personally have faced is, and I think it's on the end, not a question. It's like, it takes me um, maybe a minute or two minutes where I'm like trying to formulate the question. And that should probably be just thinking time, you know, thinking out loud. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Being explicit rather than implicit. That's great. I'm a very explicit coach. And I'm telling you 20 times in a session what's going on in my mind or what's going on in the session. And it could be as, as explicit as I'm being quiet because I want to give you time to think. And I'm trying to think of the next power, best powerful thing to ask you or if I'm a little more bold and there's a little more trust and safety in the room, I would say I'm being silent because I'm expecting you to continue exploring this out loud. 
there should be a lot of trust and safety in the room before you do that. So in our last couple of minutes together in this session, there's an arc to your questions, just like there's an arc to the session. There's a beginning where all of your questions should focus on competency three. You should come on with a completely empty chalkboard, an empty table. And then once you get beyond three or you've decided we're not going to get there from here today, either we're very new in our relationship or something fantastical or catastrophic has happened or their mind is elsewhere, then I can move into the heart. And uh, these are all ideals. They're not absolutes. And so it's completely acceptable to have a successful coaching conversation without establishing a clear three. As a practice, it's not, but on any given session, it's okay. Sometimes they just need someone to listen. And that's where the heart of the session comes in. So all of my questions, when I in my mind have said, we're now in the heart of the session, are going to focus on four, five, six, and seven. And I keep them right in front of me. And when I'm silent and I'm exploring what should be my next powerful thing, I'm looking at four, five, six, and seven. But I'm also watching the clock and I'm watching the energy in the room, body language. And I know that at some point in my questioning, where the clock is not my friend, we're going to start winding down. And I'm going to be explicit about that. And I'm going to make hints, like I just did a few minutes ago, saying in our final few minutes together, that's a hint to you and me that we're winding down the session and to the listeners and the viewers. I do that during coaching sessions too. What happens once in a while is I'll look at my watch and it's two nine and I've got a hard stop at three zero and I'm apologizing and closing the session in one minute. And you don't want that to happen to you. And so I have the clock in the bottom right corner and I'm watching it pretty carefully knowing exactly where I'm at and when I need to say goodbye and bringing you through beyond in more than just a couple of sentences, but will take some time to close the session appropriately. And that is the arc of a coaching session and its relationship to powerful questions. As always, I'll give you the final parting thoughts. Take us home. Yeah. Um, I think this one's kind of intuitive. Like if you're trying to impose some structure around your session, your the one session you're in, the arc of the session, the way that you're guiding from, you know, transitioning from what are our goals to let's talk about the meat of the problem or the heart, and then how are we going to take this beyond and let's wrap up. Those all require questions to kind of nudge toward, and that's the part where you probably do need a tiny bit of manipulation, but good kind of manipulation. Yeah, I greatly agree with you. And this is where our ownership of the sessions and our ownership of the relationship comes into play. It's uncoach-like to leave someone hanging. And so if I need to manipulate the arc of the session to ensure I don't leave them hanging, I'm going to do that. So let's say I've set aside an hour and we've celebrated something at 50 minutes. I'm going to close. I'm not going to open Pandora's box with 10 minutes left because I know it's irresponsible. If we finished at 30 minutes and celebrated, then I'm probably going to say, I'm going to go back into the archives and pull something out. But at the same time, if you're having this 
amazing conversation and you're not watching the clock and it's two nine and you got to end at three zero, you've been irresponsible and you're probably going to be late for your meeting. You have a responsibility to that human being and it's your obligation to manage the clock, not theirs. And so I would strongly hesitate trying to close in 60 seconds, especially if there's a lot of emotion in the room, a lot of energy in the room, but you're going to have to wind that down. You're going to have to thank them for their patience, but you've lost the bubble on the clock and you got to run. We're going to get together again on the 20th. If you need to talk to me between now and then, pick up the phone, send me an email. I'm here for you, but I got a hard, hard stop. All right, my friend. Good session. Talk to you soon. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.